what a joy it is to be with you today to open the Word of God. Stacy and Monica have celebrated their anniversary this week and so took some time off and so Stacy's asked me to step in. It's really a joy to be with you. We're gonna be reading from Isaiah chapter six, verses one to 10, and so I would encourage you to, to turn there with me. I'm reading from the ESV. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we do in a way to honor the word of God as it's read. So Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. And Father, we would ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would use, Lord, the preaching of your word to have impact in our hearts as your children, as your people. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You know, all of us have been, I guess, wrestling with the world that's been shaken. Our routines have been shaken. Some people I talk to are longing to simply get back to the way things were before the pandemic. Others are wondering what it's gonna look like when the pandemic's over, if it's ever over. When we look at events like this from the Lord's perspective, which I think we are called to do in the scriptures, I would suggest to you that maybe the Lord has something else in mind for us. Now there are good things that come out of difficulty. That's always true, that's the way the Lord works. He works in the struggle of our lives to bring honor and glory to his name in our lives and through our lives. And I wanna remind you as we begin today that this pandemic did not surprise God. It certainly didn't knock him off his throne. He's still there ruling and reigning as a sovereign king. And all Christians who believe the Bible, I think we at least have to say the Lord our God has allowed this pandemic and allowed even the racial unrest that's gripping our cities for his own purposes in his own glory. He doesn't waste anything. And I also wanna remind you that the Lord our God still loves us deeply, perfectly, completely. His love hasn't changed. His goodness has not changed. His presence with us it has not changed. 
And so no matter what challenges you've been going through, and I know some of you have been through tremendous challenges. I know people who have lost jobs. I know people who have lost income. I know others who have lost loved ones. Most of us have lost special moments, whether it's a graduation or time with friends that we can never get back. And many people have struggled with loneliness and depression and fear and discouragement, and we could go on. In these times, I think it's important for us to go back to the word of God to remind ourselves. That's what we often do in the scriptures. We remind ourselves of what the scripture says and what we thought we knew. Because sometimes we know something in our heads, but we've not really become convicted of it in our hearts. And I believe the Lord has something for each of us today as we reflect on these things. Our theme idea is that God is a holy God. He's worthy of all glory, and he wants us to turn back to him with our whole hearts in this season. Now, I want to start in the text. We always start in the word of God because the word of God is what what shows us what's on the heart and the mind of God. And in Isaiah chapter 6, King Uzziah has just died. He's reigned for 52 years, which was the longest of any king of Judah. Now, in these days, when a king died, it meant uncertainty. And that's what Isaiah is feeling in these moments, I will guarantee you. Because number one, many transitions between kings, they weren't smooth. Look look, look and read the history of going from one king to another king. And even if the transition was smooth, you don't know exactly what the next king, what policies he's going to implement or how he's going to, to run the world in which you live, so it produced great uncertainty, especially for someone like Isaiah. This, of course, fits what's happened in all of our lives the past three months. Most of us, I think, were in a routine that on some level we enjoyed. Why else would you continue to do what you've been doing? And then God allows something into all of our lives which turns our lives upside down, that that forces change. Now, I know This is true of me, and I think it's true of most of us. We don't really like change that much. (laughs) We like the comfort of our routines. And so when God forces change, how should we respond? Well, I want to look at Isaiah and see how he responded. What Isaiah did is he sought the Lord. That's, That's what he did. Let me suggest to you that that's the right response for all of us, too. When our routines are turned over, we seek the Lord our God. Okay, Lord, you've allowed these circumstances into my life without a doubt. Show me how you would have me respond. Give me grace to respond well. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect you might be like me in this sense. When the pot of my life gets stirred, when things get turned over, what's inside our hearts tends to bubble to the surface. That's what's been taking place in my life the last couple of months. What's inside of us when we get squeezed tends to come out. Usually, I I don't get frustrated easily, I don't get angered very easily, but I've found myself in moments the past three months struggling with these things. Usually, I'm pretty self-disciplined in my lifestyle. I work very hard. But you know, it's been very easy the last couple of months to rationalize, oh, well, I can do it tomorrow. I, I, I have plenty of time for this. Or 
the ice cream is in the freezer and it's not very far away all the time. <laughs> okay? It's been very easy to give in to these kind of things. I don't know about you, but that's been true of my own life. And certain things have bubbled to the surface in my heart. When the Lord allows things to bubble to the surface, it means that he is wanting to show you what's there so you can give it back to him, so he can do a work inside of our hearts to change us, to transform us, so we more and more reflect the image of his son, Jesus. Now, in these remarks, I'm speaking to born-again Christians. If you're not yet born again, the Lord loves you. He wants you to know him, but you don't yet have the Holy Spirit inside of you who empowers you to live the Christian life. So for those of you who know and love the Lord, he will empower you to do whatever it is he's asking you to do with the stuff that might be bubbling to the surface in your lives. Of course, we repent. It's very simple. It means we turn. Lord, I don't want that in my life anymore. I'm asking you to take that away. I turn back to you. I want what you have for me more than any of this stuff that I see bubbling out of my heart. You know the attitude, the mindset, whatever it is in your life, you call it what it is. You bring it before the Lord, you confess it. It's called confession, agreeing with what God knows to be true of your heart. And then we receive the forgiveness that Christ has already purchased for us at the cross. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then I pray, personally, I pray, Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God has been given to us, first for salvation, verse 11. And then in verse 12, it says, the grace of God is given to us to enable us to say, to train us to say, is literally what it says, no to ungodliness and live self-controlled, godly and upright lives. I pray that prayer for myself. So has your routine been upset? I think most of you, the answer is yes. It was the Lord's doing. It was. It was the Lord's plan because he loves you. In fact, he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. So how are you responding, my dear friends? Which really brings us to the focus of our text this morning. Because when Isaiah seeks the Lord in our passage, the Lord God is gracious to him and gives him a vision of who he is as God. It says in verse one, I saw the Lord. Now I don't know about you, but when I read that, my question to Isaiah is, what did he look like? And it's almost as if Isaiah is unable to enunciate the being of God. All he's able to say is uh, uh, the train or the hem of his garment, of his robe, filled the temple. Now the temple was huge. So I want you to picture in your mind's eye perhaps a coliseum or a football stadium that has all of a sudden been filled with just the edge of the garment of the Lord. That's all he's able to say. And it signifies the unutterable being of God, the greatness of our God. And then Isaiah does describe this angelic beings that, that, that are before the throne of God day and night. The scripture here calls them seraphim. Other passages give us some insight, like Revelation chapter four, and you can read that in your own time. But in these passages, these seraphim are before God looking up at the being of God day and night. And all they're able to do because of who God is is describe him to one another. Uh, the text here says, holy. Now, what they mean by that is, wow, I just saw something of the being and character of God I've never seen before. And then one on the other side will look up at the being of God, holy. 
let me tell you what I just saw of the character and being of God. And then one on the other side calls out, holy, I just saw something of God I've never seen before. And this goes on day and night since they were created. And all of this points to the never-ending, deep aspect of God's character and being. I mean, the picture here should cause us to stop, actually, and marvel at the greatness of who God is. The, the, the picture is further strengthened when, when it says the, just the very voices of these angels shake the very foundations, like an earthquake at the voice of these angels. Now, Isaiah's watching this. When Isaiah sees what's taking place and he sees a, a small picture of the true holiness of God, he cries out in despair, woe to me, I'm completely undone. Literally, I'm utterly destroyed. Now you have to understand that if Isaiah lived today and, and he was a friend of yours, you would, when you thought of Isaiah, you would say, he's the holiest guy I've ever met in my life. Yet, when he sees God as he is, when he sees true holiness, now God's being defines holiness, when he sees God as he is, Isaiah is overwhelmed by how unholy he is. And so my friends, we talk about the holiness of God a lot in church, don't we? I don't think we understand what it is. I, I truly don't, I'm talking to, about myself. Not the way Isaiah experienced it, certainly not the way we're gonna encounter it one day in the presence of Jesus. God cares about his holiness because holiness, again, defines who he is. In fact, every other attribute of God is defined by holiness. Holiness means set apart. We usually apply it to purity, but it really applies to every aspect of his being. God's perfect love for you is a holy love by definition because that's who he is. This is an important idea for our day because in the culture in which we live and even in the church in America, we've tried to redefine the holiness of God. Things which used to be unholy, maybe even unimaginable, 50 years ago, we look at today and kind of shrug our shoulders and say, oh, that's just the way it is. That's the way we think about things. I'm not sure that that's the way the Lord our God thinks about things. How about God's view of homosexuality or premarital sex or lying or gossip? And we could go, we could go on and on and on. Let me suggest to you that God has not changed his mind about his holiness. Now somebody may think to themselves, well, I don't agree with God, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter if you agree with him or not. God defines holiness and the fact is, you and I will both be judged by the perfect holiness of God one day, by the perfect judge, we'll be judged justly. And so the things that Christians are watching on TV today and in movies, the things we allow into our homes through the internet in other ways would have probably been called pornography 50 years ago. The ways we've allowed ourselves to slide into everything from gluttony to gossip to unforgiveness to divorce. And we, again, these are, these are just examples. We could, go, we could go on and on. And I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you, I'm preaching to myself. God, why have you allowed so many people to get sick and many to die? Why have you allowed racial unrest 
in our cities. Well, do you really think this is an accident? I'm not saying God brought it. I'm saying God allowed it. Did God allow it as an accident? Or does he have purpose and plan? See, God in his perfect wisdom has chosen to shake us in this season. That's what's happening. I'm shaken. He's shaking us out of our lethargy, out of our maybe semi-godly routines and compromise. Now, you have to seek the Lord yourself. I, I, I don't know about your life. I really don't. All I can tell you is that I could not be more deeply convicted in my own heart about compromising attitudes, and I suspect that my lifestyle is a lot like yours in seeking to be a godly man. See, Isaiah seeks the Lord his God, and God graciously gives to him a vision of who he truly is. This is where we start when, we are, when our lives are shaken. Let's seek together the being of God, the heart of God, the mind of God. See what he shows to us. And when we see something of God's holiness, we become much more aware of our own sinfulness and the depth of it. Now, I train pastors in Africa. Most pastors in Africa, they have this list. When you say sin, it's a list of outward things that people can't do. If you're a Christian, you can't do these, and, and they, they can list them pretty fast for you. We used to jokingly say, you can't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with the girls that do. <laughs> okay, But the point is, it's, it's a defined outward list. Now, the interesting thing about this, and I tell African pastors this all the time, is that when Jesus talks about sin, he doesn't talk about the outward. Almost never. He talks about the heart which is a much more, much more difficult for us to address. In the Sermon on the Mount, you, you, you probably remember, when, when Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Now, I don't know, again, how your life, what's going on in your life, but there's all these debates about masks or no masks, about defunding police or supporting police in a different way. There's all these debates that are going on, and, and I find even Christians, through social media or other ways, getting angry about things. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, we, we need to go back and read Matthew 5 again, because we're committing murder in our hearts and our response even to one another. Or when Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He's talking about our hearts. When I look at the Ten Commandments in light of what Jesus says, I'm guilty. I'm absolutely guilty. This is why Isaiah was immediately aware of his sin when he saw the true holiness of God. So he's measuring his life now next to true holiness. And he sees it for what it is and he says, woe to me, I'm destroyed, I'm finished, I'm without hope, I'm lost, I'm undone. Now, I think part of what God is doing is shaking us so we can see what's really in our hearts. You can evaluate that for yourself. But when non-Christians around you see something of the holiness of God in you, they're gonna respond in one of two ways, actually. They're either gonna be drawn to it because they're so tired of what the world offers, or they're gonna hate it. They're gonna criticize, probably. Now, I don't have control over what that person does over there. I have no control over that. All I have any control over is is what the Spirit of God is doing here. But if the Spirit of God is using your life, your, your love for Christ, the, the, the lifestyle you're living to draw somebody 
closer to you. He wants you to share the good news so they can have hope too. And, and I want you to notice what, what happens because the Lord atones for Isaiah's sin in the passage. It's very clear. Isaiah's unable to do anything except respond to what God reveals to him of his very character. Woe to me, I'm undone, I'm, I'm hopeless, really is what he's saying. The Lord sent an angel to take a coal from the altar and to touch his mouth, his lips, the place where he was most aware of his sin, to atone for his sin. Now, African pastors ask me all the time, well, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Can they be saved? And I said, the same way you're saved. By faith in the covenant promise of God. They look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back to Jesus, the Messiah who's come. But we're saved the same way. Our Lord and King Jesus took my place when he died on the cross. I've believed the gospel. I've received the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as Savior and Lord. So my sin at that moment was put on Christ and his righteousness is given to me. That's the gospel. When God looks at Brian, what he sees is the righteousness of Jesus, my friend. That's true of you if you know Christ today. But Isaiah's only hope is in the Lord atoning for his sin. My only hope today is for the Lord atoning for my sin. Your only hope today is for the Lord atoning for our sin, but it's been done. In fact, at this point inside, you should be thinking, hallelujah, okay? Which I wanna take us to our third point this morning because I'm really focusing on this question this morning, what will life look like after the pandemic? Well, I don't know that we know, actually, the answer to that question. Many things have changed, and you know change is good or bad, depending on what it is, but, but change is the premise of the gospel. I mean, the gospel says, I need to change to conform to the image of Christ in my life. That's what needs to be taking place inside of all Christians. It's a work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the people of God. Now at times the Lord chooses to shake our worlds because he loves us again. Because he loves us too much to allow us to stay the way we are. That's the truth. And so with this in mind, let me suggest to you that one of the things the Lord is doing through this pandemic and the racial unrest is he's shaking us out of what's been normal for us so we can reevaluate the patterns of our lives. And even our thought patterns that we've grown accustomed to thinking. Maybe lifestyle choices. I think his desire is for us to worship him more fully, more completely. I think that's the desire of his heart. So that we can reflect him to those around us who have no hope. Let me say this another way. It's my conviction that the Lord does not want you to go back to the way your life was before the pandemic. I'm not talking about social distancing or masks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your thought life, how you spend your time, the things that are most important to you, how much time you spend seeking and knowing him, how you're going to make a difference in your community, the relationships that you have with him and with the, those around you. I'm talking about what holy means biblically. Again, for Isaiah, the shaking the Lord did in his life happened so that Isaiah would seek the Lord and be changed by the vision the Lord wanted to give to him. Now, I don't know exactly what that's gonna look like for me and for you, but let me suggest a couple of things. First, God 
has not changed his mind about his holiness. And so neither can we. In fact, I think I'm supposed to say to you, stop compromising the holiness of God, people of God. Stop compromising. I don't know what that means for you, but take that seriously. And second, we are a reflection. We don't do it perfectly. I certainly don't. But we are a reflection of the character of the Lord our God, who is holy, and yes, who radically loves. Both of those are true statements. And so the church in America looks way too much like the world. Because when people experience the radical love of Christ, and you understand how this works, I think, agape doesn't begin in my heart. It begins in the heart of God. And as I, as I am in worship, in relationship with him, I receive, it's poured out to us as his children so that we can give it away to others. That is the way that agape works. So when, when, when the world around us experiences that kind of agape and then experiences something of the holiness of God, it's very, very attractive to people who are sick of what the world has to offer. I don't know if, if you noticed this, but in the first few weeks after the uh, isolation, I guess we call it, began, a lot of people were binge watching. You know, they, they'd watched a television program, but they'd missed some of the episodes, so they went back and they watched every episode. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. But if you watched, people got quickly tired of this. They got bored with it, so they had to find other things to, to do to fill their time. And so their yards are nicer, their closets are cleaner, I think. They probably ate more ice cream like I did probably took more walks than they had before. But you know, none of these things will really satisfy a hungry heart. That's the point here. Authentic relationship with the Lord our God, authentic relationship with our family and those around us are what satisfies the hungry heart. My wife Anna and I were watching a Nicholas Sparks movie a few weeks ago. Yeah, guys, I know he's sappy and emotional, I understand. <laughs> but the point was very good. The movie was about a bull rider who had been thrown a couple of times and had serious injuries. In fact, the doctor said you could die if you do any more bull riding. And because he continued to bull ride, he wanted to get the championship. He was a good bull rider. First his mother, who loved him, and he loved her, and then his girlfriend, who loved him, they both said, we don't want to watch you die. We're no longer going to be a part of your life if you continue this direction. But he didn't listen to them. He continued, he actually won the championship. And it was interesting, the poignant moment in the movie is he's won the championship and he has the trophy in his hand and people are cheering for him and he's looking in the crowds. Nobody that really knows him. There's nobody there who really love him because of the choices he had made, he had driven them away. So he didn't have any real joy because no one whom he loved was there to share the victory with him. That's what the world has to offer, very, very little. I believe the Lord our God is offering each of us something this morning, deeper, more satisfying relationship with himself than you currently have. Now, now think about this. Yeah, I, I walk with the Lord, I've known the Lord 54 years. Yeah, I'm getting old, <laughs> okay. There's a lot more I have to learn of the Lord, a, a lot, a lot more I have to learn. Now, think of the angels, day and night, they never stop seeing something new of the character of God. We have a lot more room to grow, all of us. And we have more in the relationships of, of those that God has put around us also. 
These relationships are lived in true holiness. That's, that's where the abundant life exists. The result of this work of God in Isaiah's life was that his sin was atoned for by the Lord. If you know Christ, your sin has already been atoned for by Jesus' work on the cross. So the point of this sermon is not guilt, my friends. Don't, don't feel any false burden of guilt. Now, we acknowledge those aspects of sin in our lives. Yes, of course we do. We confess, that means we agree with what God knows to be true of our hearts. Okay, that's what it means. God, you know this is true. I agree with you. I turn from it. I don't want it in my life anymore. Yes, and then we receive again the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for us on the cross. And then, in the book, in the, in the text, Isaiah 6, the Lord asks a question. Who will go for us? Who can we send? Isaiah, here I am. Send me. That's not where he was in verse 1, but it's where he was in verse 8. Because of what Christ had done for him. Because of what the Lord had done in his life. You see, the people of God are God's agents of reconciliation in a culture. Hear me, my friends. That's who we are. We are God's agents of reconciliation. The world cannot reclaim the world. The world, darkness does not make the world lighter. Darkness cannot reclaim dark. That's the church's job. And so I love what Stacy said last week about the issue of racism that is, that is you know, causing division and struggle in our nation. It's not all bad. The church is the agent of reconciliation. Here I am, send me. That's the right message, my friends. Now, you do have another choice. Your other choice is to go back the way you were thinking and living before the pandemic. You can actually make that choice, but I believe you're gonna miss some of the joy of walking with the Lord in this season. And in verse nine and 10, as you read the rest of the passage, the people of God, they didn't wanna hear the word of the Lord. Their eyes were then blind to the things of God, and the result, if you continue reading through Isaiah, is judgment that fell upon them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want any more judgment in our nation. I certainly don't want any more judgment in my own life. That's not what I'm after. I'm asking for the mercy of God. I think the mercy of God is found in obedience. I think God delights to bless us. Bless me, Lord, in Africa, I, I tease them a little bit. They always, say, they always pray, bless me, Lord, bless me, bless me. I'm like, God delights to bless you, but he delights to bless your obedience. That's what he delights to bless. So follow him wholeheartedly and blessing will come. That's the way the gospel works. You know, my only hope for this nation is in the mercy of God as the church repents and is revived. That's my hope. So my friend, I don't know what it is the Lord wants you to do today. You'll have to ask him yourself in our response time in just a moment. Spend more time seeking him. Is there something in your lifestyle that perhaps needs to change? Your relationships? Where are you spending your time? I don't know what that is. Your language? Whatever that is, you, you bring that before the Lord in our response time this morning. I think it's time to do business with the Lord. The Holy Spirit knows you. He loves you. He'll meet you where you are. You simply invite him to have his way. Don't resist him. Invite him to have his way. And I'm gonna just pray a blessing over us right now. And then we're gonna have just a short time of response with the music team and I think Stacy's gonna close the service. So I'm just gonna invite you, wherever you are, just to stop and let, let, let's pray. Let's pray. Just quietly in your own hearts, just pray for a moment.
And Lord, you know, every, every person who's listening, Lord, to this right now, you know who they are, you know what's on their hearts, you know their needs better than they do, actually. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would meet them where they are, would encourage them, strengthen them, empower them, whatever they need, Lord, you know what that is. Some are crying out to you in struggle. Meet them where they are, oh God, meet them. Lord, give us the, the grace and the strength to take a step of obedience today, whatever that is. Give us the grace and obedience to do that. Lord, we, we do pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we could see you. We wanna see you for who you are, Lord God. That is our prayer, like Isaiah, that, that is our prayer. And so we would ask you to do that, Lord God, that we would see you for who you are and give us the grace, Lord, then to respond to who you are. Lord, here I am, send me. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.